You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Guidepost. Um, just a gentle reminder, uh, when you're listening to this, if you have any feedback, any comments, anything that you want to say, if you send us an email at comments at saltwaterguidesassociation.org, um, and we read it on the air, you will, you will win, not could win, uh, a free pair of Costa Del Mar sunglasses. As you well know, this podcast is brought to you by Costa. Uh, we're super excited today. Um, we have a we have a very special guest uh it's been a long time coming uh getting him on here he's got a great story uh i'm not going to be talking very much i know that'll come as a shock to everyone but uh you know i would like to i would like to welcome uh my friend uh a guy i respect a lot in the industry and have known for quite a long time uh blaine chocolate to uh to this episode of the guidepost how are you doing blaine I'm doing great, man. I really appreciate you having me here. Um, as you said, we've known each other a long time now. And, uh, Oh uh, yeah. Know. I mean, you look back on it, like a lot of, a lot, it's, it's like 20 years, man. It's, it's, we have, we have kind of watched each other grow up. Oh uh, yeah, for sure. You know, back when you were doing the, the first shows, when you were, you know, when oh, we all man. got together, it's funny how, young guy look back then when we have that group picture oh my everybody, gosh man you, know? <laughs> you you and you and me too yeah Oof. life is hard that's a growing old is not for sissies right yeah, like, no kidding uh, right well geez, my, my dad yeah. always said if you're gonna be dumb you better be tough so right <laughs> that's like, like my theme song um that's the way, I, that's the way i've lived my life man <laughs> it's and like, blaine and I'll, I'll tell you blaine's one of blaine's favorite uh one of Blaine's favorite sayings has quickly become mine. And I think we're, we're permanently in the front seat of the struggle bus. Yeah. Uh, it, I'm it dropping never, it. <laughs> it never ends. We can't get off the thing. Like it, it, the struggle bus may stop, but it does not let us off. Um, so, you know, it's uh gosh, there's man, a lot, a lot has happened in the last few decades, but, yeah, um, but you know, I cherish, I cherish that photo. That's a, that, that was a great time. You know, um, uh, so what Blaine's talking about, just so the listeners know, um, I used to run a, a fishing show here called Lefty Craze Tie Fest. And Lefty is very uh, dear to me, uh, as he was to Blaine. And, um, you know, it was it was a time, a real low, low key event where it had the highest quality uh, people in the sport in probably the smallest room you'd ever seen. And it was just this cool atmosphere. And my gosh, um, Blaine's talking about a picture. My son turns 13 tomorrow. And in that picture, my son was a couple of months old, just a curly haired, fat little baby. <laughs> and it was me and Blaine and Lefty and Clouser and Popovics and Steve Silverio and Brad Buzzy and uh, Steve Farrar. And it was it was just like this murderer's row of uh, of of 
the old guard and and new people coming up in the sport and everyone was smiling and everyone was having a good time um and and it's just it's one of those little snapshots in history right oh yeah all great people all mentors friends um and they're all legends too right it's what's uh you know that's those people obviously inspired me to do what i'm doing yeah but blaine i mean tell them the truth i mean they're they're regular guys yep every single one of them's a human yep they're all regular people that uh love the sport and they love to share the knowledge um you know it's like lefty always talked about that is don't display it but share it you know that's that's the most important thing you know and and that all the greats i've ever met in this industry have been that way you know it's it's not about them it's about what they can do to help bring the sport along and uh you know i I learned a lot from that early on and you know i think that resonates with all great people in all types of industry and whether it's fishing or or you name it they're they're generally good people that really want to especially the super special ones you know what i mean like oh listen lefty lefty made every single person he met at those shows at, at, i don't care if he was checking into a hotel or he was or he was front and center at a show you know when they were they they were marching him around and showing him off or he bumped into you at a gas station I, he made every single person feel like they were the center of the universe yep yeah it just i mean he totally focused and paid attention on every word you were saying made a connection and I mean, he remembered people yeah. like he, he made you, he's, I, you know, I say this all the time. He's one of the true icons because when you got to know him, he was better than what you had heard or what you imagined. Right. And you don't always hear that, you know, they always oh, say you should never meet your heroes, but you know what? All my heroes have been pretty much in the fishing world and especially in the fly side of it and they and they've all been amazing people Uh, you know what i mean it's you know everywhere from larry and popovics who's been meant a lot to me as well as in the fly science side of things and you know he's he's unbelievable i mean popovics was just a generational guy oh yeah yeah i mean just i mean just the stuff that he did and what he used and and uh and and his ability to like look at a problem and solve it um you know when he had frankly less tools to work with than we did oh yeah we do today the most important um, thing he ever told me long long time ago was a great fly design comes from solving a problem yeah and, and you should not go to, to the desk just to tie something new it should resonate something that you're seeing on the water that is not working so there and lies something that you should be taking back to the table to uh, try to figure out whether it's a movement thing or uh, a size, color, translucency, whatever it might be, um, you know, and we could get into, you know, that's kind of my background, obviously, as a fly designer myself. And but uh, we, could, we could go into that and I'm sure we will here a little bit later. But, yeah, I mean, we're we're talking about all these guys and, you know, that's that's a big important part of of our sport that's unfortunately um they're they're going away which we hate we talk about that a lot it's not it's not a fun time to see these guys get older and slip away but you know we all got a chance to 
hang out with them, you know, and learn from them. And that's oh. our job now uh, to be able to spread what they taught us. So, you know, Blaine, uh, you know, our, uh, me and you had a pretty special relationship with Lefty. Oh yeah. And, um, and I think you've, you know, because of, because of what you've done in the industry, you know, you've been able to, to have relationships with like Dahlberg. I mean, of course I know Popovic. He's like, you know, not he's a couple hours from me. Um, you know, it's not Popovic's and Clouser and all that kind of stuff. And, but you know, uh, when I, when I look back on like, you know, my career in, in the fishing world, um, then, you know, I don't, I, and I know you feel the same way about yourself. Like I'm nobody special. Um, and I, and more than anything, I feel fortunate that these guys like took us under both me, took me under their wing and lifted us up. Hundred percent, Man, I, I hope <laughs> Blaine, I look for younger people to do that too. Um, I hope I can run into the right ones. I, I, you know, I think I've found a couple. Yeah, um, me too. Um, yeah. And you know, I think, uh, what I, I, I'm just saying, I wouldn't be here. No way on earth. I'd be, you know, running the guys association, having a podcast, talking to you, been friends for so long. We wouldn't be friends without them. Right. We wouldn't have gotten to know each other as well as we did. No, um, I mean, and, and I'm just saying like, this is I'm we, I stand on the shoulders of these men. I that's exactly what Dahlberg and I were on a, a trip together up in Saskatchewan several years back. And he told me that exact same thing. You know, we were uh, filming some stuff and, you know, I just, we were just having a moment and I told him, I was like, man, I really appreciate you. Let me ride on your coattails. And he immediately corrected me and told me just what you just said. You're, you're standing on the shoulders that came for those that came before you. And yeah. that's how we should look at it. And, and, and that's you appreciate it. Oh you yeah. Respect it. And they've all, they're all of them say the same thing. Uh, you know, the being a celebrity or being famous isn't really important. They, their main focus is bringing the sport in a better place than it was when they first got there. And, and that, and they did that and that's what makes them great. And they were humble about it. And, you know, that's, that's the most important thing moving forward. And we have a totally different platform now than what they had. Um, there's so much <laughs> information out there that, I think gets lost and and it's I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's very underappreciated. People don't people don't know how to pick the real from the fake. Right. Right. Oh yeah. Sure. I mean that's that's the problem. There's so much information out there that it's hard to discern like this is the valuable lesson. This is junk. Yeah. You know? Um I, I know this like from my my nephews are super getting into fly fishing. They're in their twenties. Um, I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll listen to this because they, uh, they think, uh, they think, you know, they're, they're follower, followers of yours on Instagram and think the world of, uh, of your talents. But, um, but, you know, I watch, I kind of watch them as they navigate through and even, you know, kind of with my direction, they'll, they'll find some, you know, personality on social media and be like, Hey, what do you think of this? And I'm like, well, that guy's a that guy's a jerk and he doesn't, he doesn't really know anything about fishing, but he's real good at putting other people's content up, you know, like to right. stay away from that. And it's just, it's interesting to, to watch, you know, people in my family, like the, my next generation of, of fishermen in my family, um, 
kind of falling for it, you know, it's, it's like, my God, you know, every, every potential fisherman out there that's looking at all this stuff, you know, how do we get them? How do we train them the right way? Because when Lefty and Clouser and Popovics, those guys were just kind of anointed as icons. If you wanted to buy a fly fishing book, Lefty probably wrote it. Yep. If you, you know, Clouser, yeah, you, know, you know what I mean? There wasn't as much to choose from. And I, I think that's a challenge for our sport. Yeah. And, and you, you know, it's, it's, it's something I try to do now is um, I, that, going back to that is I look for people, you know, uh, that seem to be doing it as I perceive the right way, kind of, I generally come from that old school mentality of, you know, doing things the right way, whether it's and not the easy way, doing it the hard way, generally, you know, taking, you know, going through the ranks and learning from mistakes and all that stuff. And, you know, that, that was something that all these guys paid attention to. Right. So lefty was great at it. You know, he, he was always willing to help people, but he would especially help people like myself that he felt like they were in it for the right reasons and not in it just like now you can call it for the likes or the gram or whatever you want to say. I mean, um, you know, it's, I get it. I get why people do it. I, I'm personally um, kind of, you know, we've talked about it, fed up with some of the stuff. Uh, you know, there's a lot of really good things about the internet, but there's a lot of ugly stuff too out there. But, you know, there, it does, and it gave me a platform. It, it re, it revitalized my career when I needed it, when I was going through some different things years ago. Uh, so I get the value of it. And, you know, it's, it's definitely a platform to get out really important things, you know, especially like the stuff that you do on a, a daily basis. You know, it's, it's a very important part of, of society now. And uh, I think, moving forward with that, I think, uh, as anglers, I know I've learned a lot from it. I mean, I've learned that, you know, too many fish pictures and the not, you know, not the right way. It can really destroy a fishery. <laughs> you know, it's not- so let's, let's, <laughs> let's talk about that. Okay. Yeah. Let's, so we're going to take a step back before we tackle what you just said, because what you just said is pretty huge. Um, so, you know, 20, 20 years ago, Blaine, um, you know, you, you, you grew up like me watching these guys on TV on, on Saturday and Sunday mornings on ESPN. All you ever wanted to do is fish. Um, you become a guide and you start dialing in the fishery in your area, which is, you know, general Roanoke Lynchburg area of Virginia. And, uh, and you really start cutting your teeth on smallmouth and then musky. So what were the, what were the early days of guiding for you? Like, you know, uh, they always, you always hear about, you know, back in the day and, uh, it's it, for me, um, you really don't know how you, that whole cliche of really don't know how good you have it until it's gone. Kind of a thing. Uh, that's, that resonates so loud more and more these days. Um, you know, I, I grew up on the, the James River and the New River in my backyard. And, you know, they were two of the best smallmouth fisheries that I've ever fished anywhere. And I've traveled a lot of places. I mean, average day is 100 bass, you know, back when it was really good. And I could take any skill level angler and and do that. Um, you know, a 
great day, an average day was 50 to 100 fish, no problem, right? And that and that's fly fishing, pretty much, you know. And that was, it was so good. You really, I just thought that's how it was, you know. And uh, and then you were catching size mixed in with all the numbers. And when I say that many numbers, I mean most of them are like eight to 14 inches, but quite a few fish in that 15 to 17 inch range. And then you could easily throw in half a dozen fish 18 inches or better at uh i mean every year people are going to think this isn't real but every year we would catch that i'd have four or five days on the new river where we would we would literally hook or land 20 fish in that 18 plus inch range a day that's how good it was i mean it was unbelievable how good it was and i still have a few of my clients still alive that that got to experience that um, they're now in their eighties, but, uh, it was, it was phenomenal how good it was. And I was one of the very few, I think Chuck Kraft was the only other fly angler I knew of, and he really wasn't on the new much then at all. He, he fished it every once in a while, but, uh, I was the only one there that was fly fishing, um, that I ever saw. And then I had the James as well. And I mean, it was ridiculous and, and those numbers sound ridiculous, but it was, it was that good. And one of my closest clients that was um, in a tragic accident in Belize a few years ago, he was one of the younger guys. Um, he's He would be in probably his mid-50s now if he was still here. But he experienced that, that what I would call the 2020 club, you know, those upper echelon trophy-sized smallmouth bass. I mean, he got to experience that a couple times in his career with me. And, uh you know, now moving forward to what we have now, it's, you know, a lot of these guys I've been guiding, you know, this is 32 years of guiding for me. And, you know, not to say that smallmouth bass is gone forever, but I, those days are that I, you know, uh, you know, there's some little places you can go and, but I'm um, not going to talk about stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's our bigger bodies of water where I am have suffered a lot from, from just really poor spawns and and having a lot of water during the wrong times of the year, um, wiping out spawns or wiping out nests before, you know, as they've laid their eggs and the, we have a big water event and it wipes them out. And I think 12, 13 years went by without a good spawn in these, these areas. So, you know, we still have some big trophy fish around, um, but I've got clients that just like, man, this is just not, anything close to what it used to be. And, uh, and I'm looking at him. It's like, man, I don't, I don't blame you. I, I wouldn't want to come do this. Right. Um, the good news is we've had a few we, last year. sounds like we had a decent spawn. Um, and the few times I've been out this year, uh, you are seeing quite a few small fish. Um, but I went through a lot of the past couple of seasons where what we're finding is you'll have pods of fish in certain sections of river, um, where things will be, you, you know, you'll catch, half a dozen fish or whatever, like you used to, like every couple casts. And then you could go a mile and not see a bass. And and that's what I'm seeing. And, and, you know, uh, it's not all doom and gloom, you know, it looks like we have some recruitment coming in. Um, and hopefully that builds, uh, you know, we, we didn't have super high water this year. So hopefully you had a decent spawn this year too. So we'll see. I mean, time will tell, you know, all rivers and fisheries go through cycles, but, uh, it's been a long time, man. It's been on a down cycle for a while. You know, we had those fish kills uh, back in the 
I think 2003, four, five, six uh, is when we started really having problems on the James. Um, that was kind of right after the Shenandoah had all their fish kills. The James kind of showed up right on the, the back end of that. And I think definitely from like 2005 to 2010, 12, James was just getting beat up with our bass. And then, you know, I finally started seeing some fish starting to come back and we, we were, you know, we had two, two years of good numbers, but all of a sudden it just died again, you know, and we'll see what happens, man. There's you know, the future. I've got optimism, you know, especially with all the stuff that we're seeing happening here in the past two years with, with a lot of these groups, like, you know, ASGA and, um, you know, everything that's going on in Florida. I mean, the voice captains is, is captains yeah. is killing it. Yeah. Much I mean, respect I'll, to captains, man. And, and that's where there's really a very positive thing to social media. Um, yeah. you, get, you get the word out and you can help protect. They history. believe, you know, they, they believe they can win Blaine. Yeah. And the, the captains has given them enough victories to where they actually are now like, yeah, we'll kick your butt. Yep. You know, like they, they, they've completely changed that whole persona and, and, uh, and I couldn't, I mean, you, you never hear me saying a bad, bad word about them. I think me either. they're doing a fantastic job. Fantastic um, job. So, so, okay. You know, cut your teeth as a small mouth guide. Yep. Uh, and then, and then comes, you know, then comes your, your, your poison musky. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. the, like the, the permit, the permit of freshwater, you know, the fish that'll just aggravate, piss you off. And then you say, well, I want to catch them on a fly. Yeah. You know, which is, it's a heck of a lot easier to catch them other ways. Uh, especially when you're drifting by them. Oh yeah. Um, so, so enter the musky. And I think that, I think when like you kind of hit the ground running with musky, that was the that was another upward trend in the trajectory of your career, and I also think because muskie are so challenging, it challenged you with fly design, and then came then all of a sudden you started innovating and just pumping things out. So let's let's let the listeners hear about that story because I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> all, my whole career has kind of been almost like it was set for me, right? Um, all of it. Uh, so the, going back to the James and the new, I mean, I, I live in the, you know, you, you've been in my part of the world. We, I live in a, an unbelievable piece of the United States in Southwest Virginia, uh, just outside of Roanoke. And the James and the new river are crystal clear mountain rivers. Um, like I said, world-class smallmouth fishing when I was growing up in my early years of guiding and um, again, I mean, they're, they're still pretty good bass fishing, but it's just not what it was when I started. But what it did is it gave me a classroom to really be able to visually see how fish reacted in a negative or a positive way to what we threw at them, wh whether it was a lure or a fly. And uh, so I was born with a gift to be creative. Um, I have kind of an artistic mindset. Um, I could paint and draw growing up. And so fly tying came very natural to me. And, you know, I was born and blessed with just an understanding of fish behavior and uh, understanding what they want to see. And, and a lot of that has 
to do with time on the water. You know, you can't beat that. Then people talk about it all the time, but you still have to understand what to look for, how, what, how, what, where, when, um, and all that. You know, when you're blame, when you have the opportunity to see the fish and, and it's clear water, it so much turns into hunting. Oh yeah. Because you're, you're looking at like, you can, you start to judge the body posture and yep. like what, what the fish's fins are doing. Yep. And you know, is its back a little arched? Is it, is it, is it, is it, is it backing? Do you, is the next motion going to be back away or is the next motion going to be a strike trigger? Correct. And when you can see that, then you say, Oh, I need, I need something that does a little more of this and a little less of that. Boom. Oh, and, oh, yeah. then, and then someone like you sees it and you take off. Oh yeah. So, I mean, so it was like a perfect storm for me, you know, um, when I started my shop in 1995, um, you know, I, I got a drift boat and, you know, I would, I would got out of all kinds of stuff before that, you know, um, rafts and even canoes and stuff like that. But, you know, kind of going back a little bit, you know, I, going into the musky realm, I mean, the smallmouth was the, the main thing that really taught me how fish feed, you know, cause they, they, they will feed on a variety of different things, everything basically. So it's a perfect fish to kind of learn what fish like and what they don't like. And, you know, so taking that, uh, when I was, uh, in high school, um, you know, Larry had his show, the hunt for big fish. And, um, he had this really cool show one time about him with musky and being where I was, I took a lot of notice of that and being able to catch him on fly was very appealing because I'd, you know, I'd seen him before every once in a while, we'd have one eat a bass off, you know, that we had had hooked uh, and they're just doing what predators do. They're eating something that's acting wounded and that's a big trigger. And that's something that you, you always are wanting to put towards your designs, whether it's a lure or fly too. Um, so watching that show and then moving into the guiding part of my career, um, I had somebody very, very important come into my life early on, um, a guy named Harrison Steves, who, who, you know, well, too, that used to come to the shows. Um, brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, one of my best friends and he was like a, a, a grandfather type figure to me, you know? And, uh, so Harry, and I used to travel to shows back at, I mean, your shows would go the the fly fishing shows, all the Ferimsky stuff. And, and that, that kind of put me into that uh, fly tying deal that Chuck Ferimsky started um, the symposium. And that's where I really got to meet all my heroes, really Popovics and Lefty and Clouser. Um, and it, that really taught me, at a very young age about fly design because I got to see these guys in person and they were displaying their knowledge. I mean, sharing their knowledge at these shows, doing seminars or whatnot, or being at one of those tying tables and you could pick their brain. I mean, I could walk up to Popovics. I mean, walk up to lefty. It's like, you know, you've heard the whole thing, like not many people, not many sports where you can just go talk to Babe Ruth, you know? Right. So, so, like I said, it was like a perfect storm for me. I mean, everything just lined up, you know, I met the right people early. I mean, I met Harry when I was 16 years old and he took me under his wing and he, he taught me the hard way. He didn't give me anything. Uh, you know, a really funny 
story I could tell you is we were on the Smith River and uh, me and the only person I knew that fly fish that was my age, Harry introduced me to, and he went to a rival high school um, about 30 minutes away. And, but he was my age and uh, we got our licenses and, you know, we would call each other and go fishing whenever we could. And, you know, it was kind of nice because everybody else I knew that fly fish was 50 year older. Right. So, uh, so it was, it was kind of nice to have somebody who was 16 years old. You go, you know, fish could relate with. So his name was David Garst and, uh, David, one day, David and I went, went and met Harry down on the Smith and another mutual friend of ours. who was an entomologist at Virginia tech who taught me a ton about insects and matching the hatch and trying. And that really, I mean, there, we could get into that and talk for hours, but long story short, Harry, if anybody that's listening to this has met Harrison Steves, he's an amazing, brilliant man, first off, but he could be, he could be, he's really funny and he's very dry, but, and he could, he's, he could be known as a curmudgeon at times too. It's, which is great. That's what's endearing about Harry. Um, so it's a perfect thing. He's like, look, He'd give us some flies and whatnot. I mean, he's known for the terrestrial man, like the greatest. He's an unbelievable talent in tying, and his forte was terrestrials. I still think he has the best terrestrials that I've ever seen anybody tie. And the, the it's more about the effect of how effective his flies were more than the how the, how pretty they were or whatnot. You know, he tied impeccable flies, but they were fish catching bugs. So. He had this one famous fly that we were using that day. It was called the firefly. And we were catching fish here and there. And the Smith River is a, a really nice tailwater in the very southwest part of the state, um, kind of on the North Carolina border. Um, and it has a has a really, really good population of wild brown trout. It's very similar to the gunpowder. Um, it's bigger than the gunpowder, but these fish are very educated and very spooky. So if you can learn how to catch fish there on a regular basis, it really taught you a lot about catching fish. So we were doing well that day. And then, so David and I were on one side of the river and Harry was on the other. And all of a sudden Harry starts catching one, a fish almost every cast. And so we're like, man, what's something's going on here? And like we went and watch him catch like 10 or 15 fish in like no time. So we start to walk across and David's got a, a lead on me about, by about a minute. So he gets over to Harry and they were opening up Harry's box and um, I get over to him and I, I, set, I see where he hands David a couple of flies and I get over there. And uh, again, remember we're 16, very impressionable young, young men here. So I, I get up there and it's like, well, what are you getting them on? I was like, can I have one? And perfect Harry, he goes, screw you, you're not old enough with the f-bomb not 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 that was being the flight way <laughs> but that's perfect harry and at the, from that time on in my career that was going to be it, it pissed me off it hurt my feelings but it, it was textbook harry right but it 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 really stoked me to one it showed me how important fly patterns are you know, it's most important part of the tools that we use to catch fish. It is. Oh I mean, that God. is the thing that Blame. needs to It drives me up a wall when you look, you look on like these forums oh, yeah. or you're having a conversation and Bob, look, 
there isn't a fly that catches much more fish than a clouser. Okay. Yeah. And if I'm searching and I don't know a pond or a river or stream, or I don't have no experience in the part of the ocean that I'm fishing in, a clouser is a pretty good way to start figuring it out. Okay. Oh yeah. No doubt. But when people buy a thousand dollar rods, $1,100 reels, $110 fly line, $800 waders, they do all of this stuff, top of the line, everything. And then they go, ah, you know, fly really doesn't matter. And neither does color for mm. a chartreuse. And you're just like, it's one of the biggest advantages our sport has oh, yeah. over the other sport, because we can make things that'll do stuff and look like stuff that there's no way a conventional lure could ever do ever. Oh, dude, I've spent my entire life. Um, seeing how important flies are and in movement and in profile silhouette you know i've I've spent my entire career studying fish behavior I'm, i mean i'm not saying i'm a biologist but i've spent my entire life on the water watching and seeing what these fish do and don't do and it drives me crazy for people to to say that um that you know they'll just have a couple patterns that uh you know it's like you you really don't know i mean you're in in Larry, I mean, we're getting off this, but Larry has a perfect saying for, for these type people is like, you can go through life looking through a keyhole and never learn anything. Um, I would rather be looking through a big open door than looking through a keyhole, because if you look through a keyhole, that's all you're ever going to see is that little bit that you see through that keyhole. Blaine, there's, there's fisheries around here, around me that I've participated in for over a quarter of a century. And, um, you know, they're seasonal. So, uh, usually like when the fishery ends, I'll sit down and I'll be like, you know, I saw some stuff this year that I have never seen before, or I saw, I saw them fish do something a little bit different, or this bait wasn't there and this bait was there. And then the process starts all over again. So it doesn't really matter how good of a tire you are you know, it changes constantly. Yeah. So it's, you know, you need that extra little kick in the tail, you need whatever. Um, but it, it the, the coolest thing for me about our sport is that you never stop learning. And, and, and if you think you, you if you do stop learning, quit, take up golf or something. Um, because it, you should learn every time you're out there and, and you can't just get stuck you know, doing the same old, same old, or it just, or the sports just leaves you behind. Oh yeah. Um, and I try to check myself all the time that way, you know? Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that is, that is true. And, you know, and that, that kind of leads, especially as a guide, Blaine, you're only, you're only as good as, as today, right? Oh yeah. I mean, what happened yesterday doesn't matter anymore. You know, I, I wake up every day as a piece of shit. <laughs> and, and, and hope that I don't end the day as a piece of shit. And the, right. that's how right. I treat my life. Um, it sounds terrible, but um, that's what keeps me motivated as wanting to be the best at what I do. Um, you know, if, if I want, I want to, I want to every day that somebody takes their time and hard earned money to go out with me to see it like I've seen it. And sure, there's some things I can't control, but I do know I can control knowing the fish, knowing what they want to eat, and 
where we need to be at certain places and times to make that happen. And uh, that I can't control and putting them to fly, putting the lines, the correct lines, all that kind of stuff. That's, that's on me. Um, yeah. But it's like, so, so for playing for musky. Okay. Yep. I'm going to get, I'm going to get back. Cause I gotta, I gotta, I'm going to, going to go up another rung up the ladder. Once we talk about musky a little bit, very difficult. You look, you, you can always run into a stupid fish. Oh yeah. I've run into stupid permit. As a matter of fact, the bulk of the permit I've caught in my life are stupid. I don't. I don't know if I've caught the tough ones. You know what I mean? Like, they're manic. They're just manic fish, man. They're. They're. I. Uh, you, you like. You just. You, that's the one fish that almost literally has almost made me give up fishing. Like I just. There. There is no rhyme or reason. There's like no pattern. There's no silver bullet. I just think it's. It's a permit is is the struggle bus. It's actually yeah. physically the struggle bus. So muskies really aren't far behind. You can find you can find a hot muskie, right? And, oh yeah. And you can you know you can you can get a, you can get a little lucky, and and fishermen deserve a little luck every once in a while. But I call that be, cast by numbers. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's, it's just, that's just yeah. It's the statistical mathematical part. Yeah. You do it enough, you're gonna it's gonna happen. But you know. You can't do that as a guide. Mm-mm. You have to give your clients the best opportunity, every possible cast. And a big part of that is, you know, putting that fly on that they're going to eat. So I think, you know, you obviously did your game changers. Yeah. But then there was a whole lot of other stuff, the T-bones, a whole lot of other stuff with the muskie. And I, I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I kind of think that's you elevated your game big time in response to the challenges that those fish were presenting you. Oh, oh yeah. Um, it definitely, and going back to my long winded beginning of that, um, you know, it was a perfect storm meeting Harry and Harry and getting me to go to the shows because he'd been going to those shows and he met all these people. So for me to go, I mean, wide eyed, young, getting to meet these heroes of mine. Um, they were so receptive and very helpful. And, you know, that brings me into that, that mid nineties period. Um, and then getting into the late nineties and getting to know Popovics and, you know, he, all his creations with his reverse style tying and all that stuff. Right. And, um, it was a perfect storm because I learned from him and seeing what he did and then taking a lot of that stuff back and having my creative mind and seeing what they didn't like and what they did like. And, and, even though I'd be smallmouth bass fishing most of the time, um, early on in the musky career, it was hard to get, it was hard to sell a musky trip because most people didn't think you could catch them. They're hard enough to catch on a conventional rod, but, and people didn't believe that you had muskies here in Virginia. And I was like, dude, man, there's so many muskies in here. It's ridiculous. So during smallmouth season, I'm looking all the time. I'm, even though I'm guiding my clients for smallmouth, I'm, I'm actually guiding for muskies too he's I'm guiding myself learning where I'm seeing these fish during the different times of the year. Uh, and I would just put it away. And, and after I was, after I would be done with a trip, uh, moving back to my buddy, David, um, who was the only guy at my age, he would meet me after guided smallmouth trips, usually probably around seven o'clock in the evening. And we'd fish from seven to like 10. And I, we would go, I would go to known musky spots and I'd be playing around with all kinds of stuff. And occasionally I would get a follow or I'd get 
an eat or whatever. A lot of times it was a lot of negativity driving the struggle bus. And David um, really got into musky fishing, you know, right out of high school. Uh, he met uh, a local musky guy on the New River that he he kind of, um, I guess, befriended, and he showed him a lot about musky with conventional gear. And so I knew where all the muskies were, so I, I would just take David and meet him. And I was trying to learn from what he was doing with conventional tackle and seeing what those triggers were on those those baits he was throwing because he'd give me first shot in spots. I knew there were several muskies and I wouldn't get hardly anything. And about an hour later, it'd be his turn. And he, he'd get one within 10 minutes every time we fished together. And a lot of nights, evenings, he would catch four or five of them. It was that good. Um, it was ridiculous. And, uh, you know, but it taught me a lot. I mean, I, like I said, if, if you're going to be dumb, you better be tough. Like my dad said, and, you know, I, it's just a school of hard knocks. You know, I tied enough bad stuff, but every once in a while you get a little bit of a, a, a visual that that they seem to like a little bit better than other things. And um, that was, I didn't have anything else to go on. You know, Dahlberg's show, doing his divers and stuff like that. I tried all that stuff. And, you know, you're talking about lakes up in Canada versus these rivers in Virginia and totally different times of the year and post-spawn versus you know, there's just so much stuff I had to learn, like water temperatures, seasonal changes, habitats, all that kind of stuff. And once I learned all that, then the next thing I just needed to see what the triggers were that these fish were really keying in on. And that's where the conventional world opened my eyes and and, ha and be, being friends with Popovics and, you know, his his whole theory on mass and, you know, with the, the reverse and the beast flies and all that kind of stuff really opened the door to really starting to push that envelope of getting a muskie's attention, um, which led me into the T-bones. Um, and that, the T-bones were generally the, I, I, in my book, I talk about, it's, it's a, the whole, the whole game changer is a, a is a, a platform and a process of my career. Um, and all of them are stepping stones from the gummy minnows forward. Um, it's, you know, I always consider the gummies and it was very successful. It still is a very successful fly, but it, I always considered it as a failure because it was my first attempt of having a fly that would move like a fluke, a conventional fluke. And it didn't, it doesn't move at all. It's, but it, the, the thing it does have is it has the, the triggering qualities that it does have is it matches the hatch perfectly. You can mimic any oh, type hey, of glass minnow. Man. Listen, man, you want to, you want to throw, uh, you know, I hate saying, I hate saying this. That's an older fly now. <laughs> I know that may come as a shock to both of us, <laughs> but that, that fly's actually been around quite a while. Yeah. 1998. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So don't think that I ever go alby fishing or fishing for small tuna and don't have a couple of those in my box. Because an Albi will smack the paint off that thing. Yeah. And you don't even, have, you don't have to move it. You just throw it out there and let it, let it kind of sit there. And it looks like a hurt bay anchovy. Yeah. You keep it in the every zone. time. Yep. You don't have every to, time. That's, that's the difference. A lot of people want to strip fast, but the difference in that and some of the other stuff is they're more impressionistic and this is realistic. So you just keep it in the zone, tight line sink, and you're going to get bit. Um, Less the fish are just moved on. I mean, it's been, it was very effective, but it wasn't what I wanted it to, to, to do. So, so 
all of these different patterns that led me into the final game changers now um from the, from that to the disc sliders uh the disc poppers um this the disco shrimps i don't i don't remember i don't know if you remember all these different fly i mean there's so many patterns that aren't in the that my original oh, book oh my god um, blaine the um the squid yeah the, the squid. two fly squid yep. that you used to tie yeah the yeah with the, the with the silicone the disco the disco poppers the disco shrimp all of them i yep. mean yeah no it's the this is like i mean this is a lot of a lot of flies a lot of ideas yeah a lot of a lot of stuff that works really really well yeah you know the only the only criticism i would offer you as a friend is you this stuff's a lot of stuff's hard to tie because you're you know you're you're better than i mean <laughs> i don't know how to say it but like you know like oh crap blaine came out with a new fly it's gonna be awesome but i'm gonna have you know i'm gonna i'm gonna spend a couple of hours cursing at my vice until i figure out how to tie it yeah you know um you know it's always that way i've definitely uh, had that um and but i mean but i mean blaine let's be honest like i, I can't tell you look at my drying wheel I, I can't tell you the how many times i came in here in the in the morning 20 something years ago and there was pop bob popovic surf candies that had fallen off the wheel and were permanently stuck to my carpet you know what i mean and you're like oh like i spent so long tying that you know and it's like or the wheel wobbled and it's got like a it's got like a cone head and a and nothing on the back end of it and you're like uh it's you know these are these are the pains that we all suffer so oh yeah okay so small mouth and musky yeah right yeah, the mu- you kind of you kind of mentioned, you know, the the problems around smallmouth and the poor recruitment, and and then musky, mm-hmm. and musky are a fish that are big and are smart and are cool looking, and it's kind of a feather in the cap to any angler. I would I would suggest that you know maybe like a forty five inch and above striper with like a 50 being like the holy grail um you know that are that are pursued with that kind of you know vigor the problem that muskies have the benefit that stripers have is yeah you may know a couple of locations you know where they're going to go on their migration but they go from you know virginia to maine mm-hmm. our coastal stock your muskies are stuck in that river yeah. And yep. then people start seeing pictures of these muskies from, you know, maybe clients of yours that were excited. And then the fishery changes. Oh, yeah. It, it, yeah. And, you know, I can't blame people. Um, the, the thing that I don't love is just blatantly just knowing, I mean, you know, whatever it is, if it's an ego thing, you know, and I was guilty of posting pictures years ago and I just don't. I've learned from it and you know, that's the whole thing about life, right? You learn from your mistakes. Um, yeah, but you know, it, all fisheries have to be respected and, 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 and muskies are a fish that's on a lot of people's bucket lists. And I get that. Right. And, uh, the problem is it's just, you feel really guilty about seeing how things used to be. Like I was the only one fishing for, you know, that very, I mean, there, I bet I could count on one hand, the musky anglers I would see in a year. Uh, it'd be the same guys. I mean, and I wouldn't see them very often. I mean, I could go weeks without seeing another angler. Um, that being said, I mean, it's not the way it is now. Um, which you t- 
go back in time on it, but it's also on the other side of it. If if people all you know, Flip talks about it. If if you don't know about something, how can you love it, right? And if it's not loved, then how can you protect it? So there's a double-edged sword. I think I think we just need to, you know, and I, I think I see this, and there's a lot of movements going on with, with the keep fish wet movement and all that kind of stuff about, you know, the fish should be the main focus instead, you know, and I, I'm, I've been guilty of the hero shots and, you know, flip, you know, when I went and was doing the film with him and about Lefty, uh, we had a long conversation about, and he gave me one of those fatherly type of type of um, talks about stop doing these, you know, these, you know, the, the big fish shot deals, you know, and, and I was like, you know, you're right. I, I don't, it's an ego thing. Um, and I, I know people are proud to catch something that's amazing and I, I get it. And it's a fish of a lifetime for most anglers. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And uh, I, that's the part I do love about it. And pe- when, the clients that I'm taking nowadays get that there um, and they may want it for themselves, not necessarily for just to beat their chest. And, you know, again, I'm not blaming people for doing it. I did it. Um, I, I feel like I've learned from it. Um, and I think there's a tasteful way now that we kind of need to do it because in this new world of, of social media and instant um, access to, you know, you could post a picture right on the water. Right. So, you know, that there's I think it takes away a little bit from why we fish in the first place. You know, um, I think originally I always loved to. I don't like fishing with people. I want to I don't want to see anybody when I'm fishing except who I'm fishing with. You know, I, I love the scenery. I love the serenity, the, the game, uh, the birds, you name it, what you get it when you're out there. And the last thing you want to do is see 10, 20 other boats. Well, and you know, I mean, some places you can't help it, you know, especially when you're running and gunning during Albie season or striper fishing, you know, Kobe, that, that's, yeah. that's gotta happen. I mean, yeah, yeah. The, the whole Kobe thing, with the film we did last year, I mean, that's crazy how many boats you see out there on a daily basis, but you know, everybody wants to go have, you know, if you're posting stuff like that, of course, people are going to want to go do it. I would want to go do it. I call it FOMO. But, you know, I mean, yeah, Yaku, he taught me that FOMO, fear of missing out. And it's true. Yeah. I mean, of course, if you post stuff, it's a great tool to get more business. Right. And 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 I did yeah. use it for that. Uh, but I mean, I, I just hindsight, I wish I could have done it a little differently, you know, and I didn't even realize I had people contacting me, which was crazy. Uh, I didn't even want to get on social media. I had a buddy, Corey, who, you know, um, uh, yeah. it made me get on social that. media. Um, he goes, dude, all these fish you're catching, you could, you would never have to worry about booking dates anymore. I mean, cause you know, my musky season's basically in the winter and, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the most comfortable time of the year. So, but I could guide every day if I wanted to every day, um, which is very thankful to do, but that's what social media gave me. Yeah. Um, but on the other side of it, um, it, it it definitely made it, it's changed the fish's behavior. Um, you know, muskies never used to be scared of people, and now they they are. Um, they would you could drift a boat over top of them, and they would just annoyingly kind of notice that you're there and just kind of hang out. And now you get anywhere near them, they just shoot off like they're scared. 
And that that's a behavioral change. That's really very sad to see, to be honest with you. Um, but you know, that's just education. That's what fishing's all about is, you know, we, you learn from your mistakes and, um, I think all of us, we love what we, we love fishing. That's why we do it. We just have to, we have to do it a different way. And Uh, Blaine, look, man, I look at pictures, old pictures of myself with stripers stacked on the boat. I mean, big fish, man. Back when it was nothing to catch a big fish. Yeah. I mean, it was nothing. And you didn't even think twice about killing them. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, there's a lot of other species like that, too. Like, I look look back at my weak fish pictures. I look back at this giant freaking flounder I used to catch wading the beach. And um, I, I don't have any of that anymore. So yeah. it's not, this is not uncommon, you know, an, an uncommon feeling. And you, and you look back and you think about the days like before social media, when it was like internet fishing message boards and, and people would kind of, you know, get their fame from that. And I'm, I'm talking about myself, not, not you. Like we, I think we all did it to a certain extent and that's why we kind of cringe when we see it now. Um, but you, you, it's, it's hard. You don't want to, you don't want to be judgmental and you know come no i can't judge anybody really you know Um, like i said i was guilty but what you can do is try to make a difference exactly yep and that's moving forward in my career that's where i want to be you know um and i think that's a that's an evolution of, of i think people in our industry you know is you start off making your way in the sport and you feel like you're taking 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 that's how i felt like you know you know, cause you're, you're using a resource constantly. So I feel like I've been taking from it and not, not giving back like I should be, you know, but yeah. as you get older and you see changes where it's environmental or, uh, like what we just well, talked about when you social being media, dad, <laughs> being a dad. Yeah. Yeah. You want to be being a dad, you come full circle Yeah, when you, when you, and I don't care what anybody says. Um, I know, yes, if you don't have children, you can love the sport and everything, but I'm just, it, it's different. And I, I don't, I don't have to explain it to people who have kids and are and love the outdoors, but like, you know, when you see the disappointment in your kid's eyes and you have them out on a boat, uh, telling them that 15 years ago that there was four and a half miles of 30 inch breaking stripers here doesn't yeah. really help them love the sport anymore. No. And if they don't, and like you said before, if they don't love it, who's going to protect it? You know, who's going to be the next generation? We're standing on the shoulders of Lefty and Klauser and Popovics. Um, you know, maybe somebody will stand on our shoulders one day and, uh, and, and we just hope that they're there, but they've got to love it first. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, Blaine, you, uh, you got in touch with me months and months and months, seems like a long, long time ago. And, and, were kind of asking me about, um, you know, how I get into my career and, and kind of made the switch and, and started doing this. And the first thing I said to you was, don't do it. It's awful. It's everyone will hate you. And, and you're crazy. And, uh, and you came back and you said you wanted to make a difference and you wanted to make a difference. And, and, and you started telling me about, you know, Tyler and how he was falling in love with fishing. And, and I have AJ who's just a couple of years ahead of Tyler and, and, you know, all the adventures that I have with him, I just got, we just got flow tubes, man. I've mentioned it a couple of times on the podcast. I don't think I've ever had more fun in my life because, you know, when you're on a skiff or whatever, 
I'm still his dad and I'm yeah. still like, pick up your line, men, you know what I mean? And like, just, you know, strip, strip, strip. What are you doing? Strip, 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 you know? And like, and he's, you know, I could just tell he's like, one day I'm going to be big enough to punch this guy in the face, you know? So, uh, <laughs> so I was like, how do I get separation? You know, how do, how do I, how do I send him off on his own, but I can still be there if he needs help, but he's kind of the captain of his own, his own day. So we have all these great ponds and 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 like tidal creeks around here. And I was like, I'm getting him a float tube. I'm gonna get him the fence. He already has the waders. I'm gonna set him up. Man, he sat in that thing and was gone. Like a blip on the like a BB on the horizon and was just <laughs> catching fish left and right. You know, and like having having the time of his life without me staring at him, telling him everything that he's do, he's doing wrong. Cause you know, that's just, I think what dads do. Right. Um, so like, you know, you got all this stuff to look forward to with Tyler. You want that fishery to be there a little bit different than mine. You want that fishery to be there for you. I, I want it to be there, you know, God, God willing, AJ has a family, um, you know, and kind of leave that to them. So I guess, you know, where I'm going with this is, is we put our, we put our heads together at the association, um, and moving forward, Blaine's going to be working with us on a lot of different things. Uh, you're going to hear his voice uh, a lot more on these podcasts. Uh, he's going to kind of bring his his knowledge of, you know, the industry and fisheries uh, to bear in saltwater. And Blaine's done a ton of, um, you know, striped bass fishing, red fishing, uh, cobia, tarpon. Um, you know, he's he's really been pretty fortunate guy to be able to participate in all these fisheries with all the all the industry folks that he works with what what is your like what are your top two saltwater if you could just be like yeah i could get up and do this every day this is cool tarpon for sure uh and you know they're like they're 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 such a they're they're such a pain in the ass too man they, like, they are um yeah. they, they definitely are they uh I, but I do enjoy that. I mean, I, I enjoy that challenge. Like I said, struggle bus. That's me. I yeah. want to be on it yeah. until I'm not. And then I'm back on it immediately. It goes to be, like I said, wake up. I'm a piece of shit. That, that's what <laughs> motivates me, right? So until we catch a so, muskie, I'm, I call my, I tell my clients, you could ask, you could ask every one of them. It's like, well, I'm a piece of shit until we catch one. So it's like, so, that's so tarpon, <laughs> that's tarpon yeah. right? You know, just one of the, one of the most frustrating things out there, uh, like an alien fish that's smarter than you that can breathe air will beat you into the ground, mm -hmm. will drive you slowly insane. And I got to tell you with, with bigger fish, you don't get lucky. Yeah. I, as one fish, you do not, you may get lucky and it'll eat. You're not, you make one or two mistakes in the whole process from the cast to the release you're not catching that fish right yeah. that is that is a powerful animal oh yeah that will tear you apart oh yeah you can do everything right for it stuff breaks you know yeah. it happens um, so tarpon and what i'm gonna i'm gonna guess i may be wrong um and i'm gonna i'm gonna stick to national not international fish but i'm gonna i'm gonna say sidecasting for red drum that's that would I, I would think that would be your number two but I, like i said i may be wrong I, lo I do love redfish i love them um something that I've, i and this goes back to the struggle bus thing for me you know I, I really enjoy the challenge of fish that 
and like I said, I've, I've, the only way I've made the, the flies that have been successful is by failing. So I'm not afraid to fail. Um, obviously backed myself in a corner a long time ago saying I was going to be a musky fly fishing guide. Greatest. That's the greatest career decision ever back when <laughs> nobody was hardly doing it. Right. So, so, but I always, you know, and I've got friends in different parts of the country that do different things from tarpon to permit to whatever. And, you know, I have on my bucket list, I just see a big difference and it could be anglers ability to deliver a fly to the fish versus what the fish is actually seeing. And and I'm talking specifically right here about tarpon, right? So if you, and I'm not an expert on tarpon, I've caught a bunch and I've hooked a bunch and whatever. And um, I've seen them in different parts in, in different environments and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the, the thing, the big disconnect with me is when you talk to the, the guides down in the keys and you know how they're fishing these fish on the ocean right and what they're throwing to them with when they're, they're throwing fly and then you have like well, okay well what are they what are you throwing to them when you got a, a, a if, what are you throwing to these fish if you have somebody with a spinning rod and you're not throwing live bait what what would you throw at them you know and a lot of them are going to be big soft plastics right and i'm like well so you're throwing fly wise, you're throwing something that's maybe two and a half max three inches long. That's the size of a, I mean, it's, you know, a, a, basically a, uh, a coffee stir stick, you know, that size so, these days. So as you're, as you're talking, I have a guide friend down in Florida who is figuring this out. He's a younger gentleman you know him i'm not going to burn what he's doing or trying to do but he basically had exactly what you're saying he had that epiphany on a boat last year and was like people are out of their minds yeah you know yeah I'm trying, this guy just watched this guy throw a 12 inch hoagie you know uh like 12 inch hoagie plastic and the tarpon annihilated it yeah. you know when it's and and i'm throwing a 3 inch fly yeah you know, that looks like a grasshopper. And me like, as what a am I doing? Right. And me as a designer and someone that's failed a lot with, with fish that don't want to, don't have to eat because muskies, the biggest problem with muskies is they don't have to eat. They eat when they want to, because they're so good at what they do. They're killers. And tarpon, when they're migrating, they're eating at night mostly. So I get that you have to feed these fish sometimes and then they see something and it's a snack on their way to where to the next pass that they're going or wherever they may be heading. I get all that stuff, but I find that there's a huge disconnect in the in conventional lure that they're throwing in the fly. So to me, that's telling me, and I may get people upset with this, but I just feel like the flies don't have the triggers that the, the, that the lures have. And that's always been our problem with flies. And there's, there's sometimes it's switched where flies have the perfect nuances of um, not being really intrusive and they're very, you know, they, they hover and they're, they're, you know, they're very lifelike and, and you don't have to do a lot to have them flutter and whatever. I get that. But the more these fish see people and, and, and flies and baits and whatever, the more educated they get, whether it's still, I mean, down there, they're seeing, they get by one guide and a couple hundred yards by past that guide's another one waiting so they see stuff constantly but in in 
there's, you know, there I've given flies the changer system to several guides down there and it's changed a lot of their thoughts. Um, and it, it's really cool to see because it's just, you, I, I do, do know this is uh, angler and guides. You get used to going back to the whole Clouser thing. Um, they get used to what has worked in the past and they get stuck in that, that whole thing. Like it's always worked and it's going to continue to work. Well, it's Blame. not saying that the fly's not good. It's just saying that the fit, it's just not pulling the triggers that in, these in fish the, need now. In like the late nineties, early two thousands, summer flounder were chronically overfished for eons and they kind of came back and there was a pulse and fishing was excellent for them for about 10 years. It was phenomenal. Um, and I'm talking about you. I'm talking about a niche within a niche within a niche, waiting for flounder on an incoming tide on a beach. Um, if they're not there, you're not going to catch anything because you can't fire up your boat and go to the next spot. Like, and it was all, it was all, uh, you know, on the struggle bus, not catching anything, and talking to talking to guys who fly fish there. Uh, clouser, I use a clouser. And walking, and I and I only fish at high tide, and I walk the beach, mm -hmm. and like in my head, I'm like, "There's all these crab shells on the beach, it's like a million of them." Yeah, and a few flounder that I've caught when I've touched their stomach, they got crab shells in their stomach, and the few that I've cleaned haven't had anything but crabs. There's bait swimming by. There's shrimp. There's there's bay anchovies. There's silver sides nothing crabs right so i'm like and then when it's high tide there's so much more water and the fish are like spread out what if you fished at low tide and they had less area to kind of feel safe or what if you caught them coming in on the high tide so you know over time i fish ended up fishing completely differently than anyone else was fishing with the beach at the beach i beat the pants off of flounder i threw flies that nobody else was using I, I told the guys what I was doing. I didn't hide it. I said, this is, see this, see this, this is a calico crab. This is the fly I use. And, and, and I use two fly rig because it makes it look like the calico crabs chasing the shrimp. And then the flounder triggered and they want to eat it. And you run through the whole thing. Nope. High tide. <laughs> yeah. Tan and white clouser. That's what we do. And you're just like, like you said, it's looking through that keyhole. Right. And it's the people who tried it and stuck with it because there was a technique. There was things to learn with it. You had to get used those people who stuck with it. Boom. It clicked. They got good at it and they learned something new to take to like the next adventure. So tarpons number one for you. I said top two salt water and I suggested tail and redfish. Yeah. I um, and I love them. Um, you know, I, it, to be honest, it's hard for me to give you a second, but the one I have right now that's like on my radar hard is permit just because yeah. I feel like there's some stuff that I could, you know, that's something add to that's the, add to the game. I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to do more with permit because I feel like, um, and I've been to Larry and I've been talking a lot about it and Larry, you got to talk to Kyle, man, Kyle, yeah. Kyle Schaefer, our board member yeah. in Maine. He just opened up uh, oh, that lodge in the Berry Islands. Yeah, I'm trying to make it to where I can get down there sometime with him. He um, has got some permit. I know it. So he's got some permit. So I and mean, I say that I say that because he's I talk, I just got off the phone with him at like two o'clock and he's already booked 
pretty much for 2023. He's got like a couple of dates open. So if, you know, anyone who's listening to this, you want to catch a permit at Kyle's place, you're probably gonna have to wait till 2024. So. That's great to hear. That's really <laughs> awesome. That's really yeah. good, man. I wish him the best on that. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I just, I just feel like uh, there's, I have a lot of ideas and I've been talking with Larry and he spent a lot of time back in the eighties and nineties down in the keys. Sessions, right. And the Sessions too. Larry, Larry was the first, the one, wasn't he the, oh, bone yeah, crusher? Yeah, he was, a, yes, that was him. Um, he, I think he was probably the, maybe it might be the first person to ever catch a, a bonefish in the, in the Seychelles on a fly. Um, I remember that episode. And yeah, I was just, so I, many the bonefish were just sick. Yeah. I mean, ridiculous, but, uh, I don't know. I just, I've got a bunch of patterns I've been messing around with and, you know, Larry studied just in Larry's way. He studied permit and getting on a T-top and pitching crabs at permit and cutting legs off and claws off and seeing how much he could take off to and find where they would stop eating them. And, uh, it was pretty amazing what he found and, um, knowing that kind of stuff. And I've got some, stuff I want to mess around with, with the right people. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at. It doesn't necessarily mean permits my favorite. I love any fish I can sight fish to. Um, I mean, I love, co I mean, it's hard to beat a really big cobia, um, free swimming. Um, and you have to, you have to make that cast and you have to feed them. Um, not a lot of time, not no, a lot of, not, not a lot, lot of, time. not a big window for mistakes either. No, if they move more than 10, 15 feet, the game's over. They don't, yeah they have a tendency to really turn off at 20 feet, you know, unless yeah. you, unless you really have them going and you got the right triggers into the thing. I mean, I figure eight of them. It's not like you can't catch them at your rod tip, but you got a much better chance if you get them to eat within that first 10 feet. Um, oh, for sure. No, for sure. And, and there's not another fish in the world, like save a muskie or my friend, the snakehead. Oh, yeah. They're bull rush a fly with Love reckless abandon too. and oh. then just turn at the right second. Like oh, yeah. the feathers on their nose, man, and yeah. just just back off and go away, and it, it's just, oh man, it's just it, it's like a it's like a wicked breaking ball after like ten fastballs. Well, you, you know, can tell just, though their body language. Your knees. It's oh. their body. You can, that's that's again though reading the fish. You could tell when they start doing that really weird uh, deal with their fins. You know, you know it's over. They you know they get they get that weird. It's almost like a squirrel in his tail when he gets irritated. Yeah. Like when yeah. that happens, the game's over. Yeah, <laughs> <They're man>. like... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just like, come on. They, you know, and it, it just gets you because we're fishermen and we're dopes. Yeah. And, you know, we're just waiting, just waiting. And you get all excited and you just, you know it in your heart. And you're like, oh, God. Yeah. Cobia can be so dumb. Oh, yeah. It can be the dumbest fish in the ocean. Yeah. And then, um, turn around the next day and, and, and become a permit, you know, just refuse everything. And, and it's just, you know, you gotta, you gotta be in it to win it. So, um, I like so them I'll all to be honest, Jack Cravel, uh, very underappreciated oh. fish is one of my favorites too. I mean, I, I, if we could talk about it. it's basically whatever fish I'm fishing for that day is yeah my favorite at the moment, but tarpon's definitely up there. I love striped bass, obviously you name it, redfish, those giant redfish that we got protected on the East coast, you know, yeah. those giant reds. I love finding those around here, you know, in, in Virginia. Oh my gosh. That's, that's you one know, for, of my favorite No one things. who's ever seen that, like 5,040 pound redfish just churning up the surface. 
Yeah, 40 to 70 pounders, man. Giants. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You see, you say stuff like that. People don't believe it. There's like 60 inch red drum in those schools. Yeah. Oh, like yeah. There's, they're freaks. Amazing like, stuff. Uh, and they're so strong, too. Like, they're so powerful. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. I, I have, um, going back down to Charleston so much uh, over the past few months, I have, uh, it has reinvigorated my love for the redfish and um i love them too man even the little guys you know there's something they're not, it's not a bonefish it's not a permit it's not gonna it's not gonna drive you nuts depends on and where you general, are in the world though yeah <laughs> you can be in certain places and uh bonefish are pretty stupid redfish yeah. can be pretty pretty difficult in certain places yeah yeah, I, agree. I guess what like Indian River Lagoon would be one of them. Yeah, where they're pretty educated. Um, I don't know. It, they're like when I hold a striper and I hold a red drum, I just look at the red drum and it's like it looks indestructible. Next to the string, you know, a striper's pretty delicate, I guess. You know, it, it's for saltwater fish especially. And my god, you know, you look at that red drum and it's like kind of thump his head and it's like bulletproof. Yeah, it's like a coconut, you know, and they <laughs> their mouth is like so powerful, and then you know i don't know it's it's kind of lit a little bit of a fire under me and i'm see my vice behind me i'm i'm goofing around with redford redfish flies and you know what's next and well i'm right i love the sport a cool thing i'm doing with fly fishermen um is i'm writing an article still um because we have a really cool shot that i did this uh little piece with um costa on on our big drum and around virginia and we got a really awesome shot and um, they wanted to use that as, as a cover, but, and, but they want to highlight, you know, like my article is basically, and we've talked about this, but the article sure. is like redfish, uh, America's new fish, you know, uh, yeah. meaning America's new favorite fish or whatever. I mean, sure. I think that's, I think it's, it's kind of sad to have to say that, but you know, the, the way the stripers, you know collapse came back collapsing again all that kind of stuff it's i'm kind of talking about how the redfish is kind of at a, a very similar story um yeah. but right now the reds in a lot of places have been doing extremely well and you know um but there's well, you know long term blaine you you protect the you take the breeders off the yeah off the menu for harvest for any kind of harvest, whether it's rec or commercial, because you know we don't pick winners. Um, yeah. So you can't kill them in the Atlantic if yep. they're over twenty-seven inches. Well, the only and, and you know that's been in effect for twenty years. Yeah. And we're seeing the we're seeing the positive side of that. And I look at that story and I'm like, yeah, you know, nothing. It's not perfect everywhere. Florida's got some. Florida's got some issues with redfish. Louisiana's trying to some bad issues too with the uh, with those big menhaden. Um, the the pogey boats destroying sure. i mean I've, sure. I've i've seen that physically yeah no, it's it's but, unbelievable the whole whole thing is unbelievable and you just but, see you know, giant the, reds floating dead on the surface crazy oh uh, and those fish are 60 years old plus i know they don't awful. grow real fast um yeah. you know yeah. once they hit 30 about 30 inches they their their growth rates go to nothing so um so yeah, man, you know, it was, it was great catching up with you as always, um, to the listeners. Don't forget, uh, 
comments at saltwaterguidesassociation.org. If you have any questions, anything, if we read it on the air, you'll win you yourself a pair of coasters. I want to thank my buddy Blaine for spending some time on here with us. And uh, and you'll probably hear him on here real soon again. Um, Blaine, go catch some fish. Go design some flies. I got a, I got a, I got money burning a hole in my pocket. I got to buy a whole bunch of new material for whatever comes out of your brain next. You giant jerk. And uh, and uh, yeah, go go design some flies. Great episode, and look forward to having on you on here real soon again. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. 